Saying, come on, but he's not going toward perfect. He doesn't you don't talk to me. The rules go. The WWF isn't big enough for me and Mr. Perfect. So right here, live in front of God and the whole world, here next week, I want perfect. One of us stays, one of us goes. Not out of the building, but out of the WWF. Is that what it has to take? Ric Flair, is that what it's gone down to? The two greatest athletes in the World Wrestling Federation. Only one man will stay in the World Wrestling Federation. I'll take that challenge. I'll put my career on the line right here. Welcome to Last Match Standing, the podcast where we review, relive, and rank the greatest wrestling matches of all time. As always, I'm Spencer. I put someone's eye out. And I'm an executive consultant. And today, we are coming to you with episode 76 from January 25th, 1993. It's Monday Night Raw from the Manhattan Center in New York City, New York. Ric Flair versus Mr. Perfect. Loser leaves town. And we're actually celebrating the 29th anniversary of this match as this episode will drop on January 25th. How do you like that? Ah, guys, we have uh, had so much fun with season four so far. I can't believe we're already almost done with it. Episode 76. I mean, this is just completely insane. That was my number in high school. 76? How about that? Why? 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 Because I was a... Linebacker. Okay. <laughs> you think it, it was just makes total that sense. was my number. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've had so so much fun, and we've got some really really good stuff coming for the rest of this season. But we have a phenomenal match for you. One of the best main events in the history of Monday Night Raw, which is crazy because it was it was episode three yep. right, of Monday right, Night Raw. Isn't that so crazy. Setting the standards high for Monday Night Raw main events moving forward. I mean, we've had a few other Monday Night Raw main events on the list, right? Trish and Lita uh, was was Sean and, and John Cena. Yeah, that, it was. an actual main event. It wasn't it supposed. Was. To be, it wasn't it was. supposed to be. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, right, right. Because uh-huh. they went an hour. Um, do you think this one's outdone what came before? Hmm. It's hard to say. Interesting argument to be made, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so that's the kind of stuff we'll get into. Because there's a lot of things going on here that you don't really see anymore that I think you should still see. Uh, We do want to talk just a little bit um, about last week's episode. Um, If you haven't listened, make sure, by the way, if you you want notifications of when we're dropping episodes and things like that, uh, follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can do that at Last Match Cast. You can also email us if you have any match suggestions or any feedback for any of our episodes. You can do that at lastmatchstanding at gmail.com. Also, feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel and and wherever you're listening to your podcast as well. Rate, review, the whole thing. All of that is appreciated. Uh, And also, we just finished Season 3 recording of our last Patron Standing Trivia Challenge series on our Patreon. Yes. So if you want to listen to that, you can do that on Patreon as well as our 
uh, WrestleMania spinoff series last Mania standing. So plenty of good stuff there on our Patreon as well. Um, but last week's episode, if you recall, um, was our Joshi tag match. Love our Joshi it. tag match. And we were grateful on that episode uh, to get uh, a little sound clip and, and some feedback from Deadly Pudding. Uh-oh. Right, Deadly Pudding, uh, our friend Travis, our, our patron there, um, sent us some feedback on where he thinks he would rank the match. And uh, he wanted to clarify some things. And so if I may, uh, I'm going to read what, what Travis has to say based off of last week's Bring match. it on, Travis. Yeah. He says, I wanted to explain what I meant by the stakes of this match. Uh, first, though, I will say that in retrospect, I agree that it is the best tag match on your list so far. So I would certainly revise my position similarly to where you guys placed it. I very much did err on the side of caution as I would... Uh, as I could see this being closer to midway on a full 100 greatest matches list that had two to four better tag matches on it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, about the stakes. Uh, you guys make a good point about this match capping off the Kandori Hokuto food, uh, but there's a bit more context to add to Hokuto pinning oh, Kong. Great. Yeah. So the final countdown tour, as you guys noted, is a bit misleading, as Hokuto is almost immediately back in the promotion right. after the summer. She yep. is, yeah. <laughs> of note, I can't find that this was meant to be her final match of the tour, as it seemed to continue into the summer. The only solid date I can go off of is that uh, she won the CMLL Women's Championship mm-hmm. on July 30th, 1994. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly when she returned that year to AJW, but she was back in time for Big Egg Wrestling Universe at the Tokyo Dome, which was AJW's biggest gate. Uh, the card infamous, infamously ran about 10 hours with oh 23 my matches. God. And oh. you're complaining about Mania. Uh, and Wait, not only uh, featured... Uh, go ahead. Doesn't uh, Bull Nakano defend the WWF women's title against uh, Andre Blaze? That's a great trivia question that I don't have the answer to, but I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> not uh, not only featured AJW talent on this card, but also JWP, LLPW, GAEA, FMW, and even uh, Mishinoku Pro Wrestling Six Man. Yes, it featured men. Uh, there was also a minis match and a WWF Women's Championship yeah. match. Yeah, there you go. Most notably, hours. however, was oh. the VTOP Interpromotional Tournament, which was a single elimination, one night only affair. The final saw Akira Hokuto against Aja Kong, which was also thought to be Hokuto's final AJW match, in which she defeated Kong. The match is solid, but it is what happens after the finish that stands the test of time. Kong, having been bested finally in singles by Hokuto, grabs the WWWA title and prostrates herself before Hokuto, claiming to be unworthy of the title. The moment is incredibly emotional. I'm getting chills reading this. As Aja Kong is crying and Hokuto gets down and hugs Kong. It's because of this post-match moment that the stakes and story of the Wrestle Kingdom match don't quite live up to heights that could be reached. Gotcha. Um, There's a lot of history there. There's so much. There's so, so much that you can unpack in that 10-hour show, apparently. Uh, (laughs) It can be difficult to rank matches, especially ones you love. I tend to be more critical of the things I love in order to reduce bias, but it is often too much. Uh, Should I rank this match lower just because of a powerful moment that came later and matches that aren't even considered on the list? It's an interesting consideration interesting for now i think you guys made the right call and put the match where it's right uh for your list i hope to see more ajw tags oh you will uh, most of them involve toyota in the future and for the love of god please look at the june 9th 1995 ajpw tag between holy demon army against super generation army as it's easily top 10 material oh, okay. okay obviously a little tongue-in-cheek there but it's seriously a much watch a must watch Classic. Well, thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. Well, God, Anything with Demon guy. Armies, I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to tell you if you haven't listened to our episode exactly where we ranked it. Um, but, I mean, Deadly Pudding, thank you so much for that feedback. Always really a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Stuff. While we're talking about last week's episode, there is a correction corner. Uh, oh, we do this every week. Every week. <laughs> every without week, Without yeah. fail. Um, from what did I get episode, wrong this time? Spencer oh. actually... 
incorrectly recalled no. that Shinobu Kandori was a professional golfer. That is my mistake. The actual professional golfer in that match, Bull Nakano. Oh, I knew better. Uh, I knew better. I knew, I knew it. Speaking of professional golfers, we have a very special guest joining us for today's episode. The man under par himself, the golf father of professional wrestling, say hello to Mr. Dale Springs. Ah, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, gosh. Gosh, it is so exciting. We've been talking about having Dale Springs on our show for so long. (laughs) Dale actually just joined us for our Patreon series last trivia standing. So, uh, Dale, I have a trivia question for you. Oh. Yes, what's up? What WWF tag team legend was renamed Mr. Hole-in-One in in WCW? (laughs) Oh, my God. I know it's one of the demolition guys. Oh my lord! <laughs> I literally I hear this every time. <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna say it was Axe. It was, was it? Barry Dorso, Dor- huh? Dorso, the Repo Man, Dorso, or also known as Spencer's favorite wrestler. The Repo Man. Oh my <laughs> God! All my worlds are colliding. It's too much. Well, well not <laughs> all three. To, not to get too off task here, but do you know who opens this episode of Monday Night Raw? I it the Repo. It man. is the Repo, repo Man. man. It absolutely yeah. possessed your head, and now I'm going to take your career. I, wa- I also I also watched the full episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's 45 minutes. Why, why wouldn't you? So right. so Dale, we have seen you in action in Pro Wrestling 225 several times now. Uh, most recently yep. in an SEC championship match against Rhett the Threat Thibodeau at that 90s show. Just a fantastic performer, a student of the game. Uh, two games, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I understand this this match in particular, Ric Flair versus Mr. Perfect, is a very special match for you. Yeah, I actually, back then, I used to, I used to make a list of my top matches, oh. uh, and I even wrote it down. I remember watching this one day when I when the network was still a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I watched it and I said, "Like this, this is something I don't even think a lot of people even talk about. Like this, this match here, and I do believe it's one of the best matches ever." Look, I don't, I don't think it's an understatement to call this the most important match in Mister Perfect's WWF career. Exactly. After all the time he spent with Bobby Heenan. Breaking into his own, over, overcoming the challenges of one of wrestling's all-time greatest legends in Ric Flair. Overcoming a broken back. It, it's hard to argue that this isn't one of the greatest matches of all time with everything that went into it. Yeah, the the story and everything. And then, I mean, even the history between the two, you can't, you can't argue. You can't argue. I, I want to I, before we get into the you know the nuts and bolts of the loser leaves town match because there's so much to get into there, uh, Dale. I just wanted to ask you, um, being a student of the game, being you know obviously uh, a, a successful professional wrestler, you you were just part of the Young Lions Cup, is that correct? Yes, yeah, I was back in uh, ooh a couple months back, October. Yeah, October. yeah. How was that experience? Oh, that was dude. That was the best time. I will tell you, hands down, the best locker room I've ever been a part oh, of. Cool, all hungry young talent, mm-hmm. and 
there were a few of us out out of the state, but then most of them in that tournament were in Cali, and then they are they're young, hungry guys trying to, you know, get out there, and it was just a great time. We're all, you know, catching jokes and and just laughing in the back and just you know spending good time together. And we none of us, not all of us, knew each other, so it was like. You're meeting random strangers for the first time, and you're acting like y'all have known each other for like years. Like that's the kind of locker room that I like to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Like there shouldn't be any heat, there shouldn't be any animosity. Like we're all here to have fun and you know make money together and make some magic in the ring. Hell yeah, so, absolutely. That I mean, that is just a tremendous attitude to have, and and I love to hear that. And I wanted to ask you because. Uh, the, the the golf father is one of my favorite characters I think I've ever seen in professional <laughs> wrestling. Um, I, I you know I just I you know I love the game and then obviously to to see that applied <laughs> the way you do in the ring uh, with not just you know your ring gear but you know you, you bring the driver out to the ring you got uh, you know moves named that you know are, are play on words you know Amen's corner things like that where where did that start for you where where did was it was it a like sort of a, a love for the game of golf that sort of naturally transitioned into the ring. Or is there a story behind it? How did that? How did that start? Ooh, I love, I love to tell this story. Uh, <laughs> actually, I will tell y'all right now. I did not like golf whatsoever. <laughs> Spencer uh, has uh, left the room. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Spencer. But I will say I gave it a chance after obtaining the character, mm-hmm. and then because of COVID as well, I had all that free time. Yeah, but. How the character came to be, I was, I think, two to three months away from actually debuting. And my original character was going to be the, it was like a rock, like an 80s themed rock star. Mm. So I was going for more like an Axl Rose or Mm. a Motley Crue inspired character. Because I know there's a bunch of rock stars out there. And they're all, they all look the same. I wanted to be a little bit different. So I wanted to do that. I think I was going to be called chasing arson or something like that. Like chasing <laughs> the gold. Like that's, that was the meaning of my name. And so we were, we were kind of on board with it. My trainer was cool with it. And they go to a show in Florida. He FaceTime calls me and he's like, Hey buddy, uh, we we got we got to tell you something. I was like, yeah, what's up? He goes, so you know how we were gonna do that rock star gimmick? Well, uh, we we're on the show and there was about like fifteen rock stars. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I was gonna say this got to be. Tough. And so he's like, there ain't, there is no way you're doing that. And I was like, dude. And he's like, but we did come up with something even better and he was he had uh nick marcos with him who was the dark horse at elevate pro and then uh braxton hunter also in the car Mm. so they were all together and they came up with the idea so they were like we've uh we've been driving coming back and we've seen a few golf courses uh some (laughs) springs some springfield oh no and so they're like we we think you should be like a a golfer and like you come out dressed up dressed up like a golfer, you come out with the clubs and blah 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 and like maybe we'll call you like Derek Springfield. 
And when I tell you my face got super red, <laughs> I was just sitting there in disbelief that he just said that to me. It it was I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed that he just said that. To me. <laughs> You're like my career's over before it started. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've got visions really of Kerwin White flashing in my before my eyes. <laughs> I honestly thought for a second, and I will always think this that I don't know if he meant to do it or not, but. I think he was going to just give me that gimmick to just be like a comic relief. Right. Uh, but, I mean, they did let me have like an undefeated streak for a while mm. at Elevate Pro. And then eventually, like, I made it better, made it my own thing. But, yeah, they came up with it. And, you know, I was so eager and I was being told that, like, I am going to debut in May of that year, of 2018. And that was three months away. I was like, I was like, uh, I guess like let's let me tell you something let me tell you something yeah being on the other side of that barricade (laughs) sitting in the stands (laughs) watching Dale Springs come out and and doing what you do owning that character you absolutely nailed it never once did it come across like a comic relief character Mm -hmm. not at all Well, I was going to say, I remember, I don't remember what show it was. I just remember the, the I want to say it was 2019. I can't remember what show it was at because we go to a lot of these the local ones. Whenever I heard from the, I I don't even, I don't even remember exactly what they said, but they said from the local country club. And I'm like, what? My ears perked <laughs> up. What's going on here? And you walked out. I'm like, oh my God, there's a golfer. <laughs> oh my God. Where, why is Spencer not here? <laughs> That's right. And I remember, I think but, I told, I think I called Landon. Yeah, they, I, I, caught I the took dude. that man. I, I took it. I said I wanted to wrestle, and I took it. I was like, I'm gonna do as much as I can for this. Mm-hmm. Well, that mm-hmm. first man, I again like, I didn't know how to really play. My dad had clubs, and even a few family members had some clubs. So, well, I think uh, a one really great thing about that character is that it's memorable. Yeah, as absolutely because like I can tell you, I remember that match. I don't remember. Anything else about that show? I just remember. I remember Dale Springs, mm-hmm. and I think we saw. We've seen you at a few shows. Well, I, I say we. I, I've only been to a handful since uh, since twenty twenty. Uh, I think yeah. every time I see you come out, there he is. Love this yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> every to, time. To me, it's so interesting because I can't think of two worlds that are more different than professional wrestling and golf. You know, like those two worlds are so completely separate. Um, but I just, listen, thank you for sharing that with us and congratulations on your success. It's been really, really fun to watch and we are obviously super excited to see what what's next for Dale Springs. Thank you. Uh, also, my score now, my lowest score is a 91. So whenever you want to go play, we can go play. Wow. Hey, that's, now. That's pretty good. That is really good. And listen, the, the, the thing is, guys, for those that, that aren't golfers, the moment you break 100 is like, oh, I think I can do this. Right? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I think I can do this. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, that, that's Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll do a, a spinoff series. We'll do, like, a, it'll be a ride-along, but it'll be ride in a along? golf cart. Last hole uh, standing. Yeah, last. I don't like that. Last <laughs> hole standing. I don't like that name at all. No, we'll, we'll think of something better. <laughs> maybe, oh, no, last stroke doesn't work either. <laughs> oh. Excuse my bogey. <laughs> Um, um uh, yeah that that sounds that sounds great okay um man i'm just i need to get over this uh moment in my life and, <laughs> and be ready to talk player mr perfect landon why don't you get us into uh monday night raw from january 25th 1993 let's get into it when we last left mr perfect it was at SummerSlam 1991 
with a broken tailbone and a bulged disc, and Ooh. losing the Intercontinental Championship after an incredible run to Bret the Hitman Hart. After this, Hennig stepped away from the ring and began his recovery, but at the time, for all we knew, Perfect was done. Perfect was absolutely retired. We would never see him again. Meanwhile, August 1991, Ric Flair arrives in the World Wrestling Federation alongside none other than Bobby the Brain Heenan with the big gold belt, calling himself the real world champion. He also came with a massive lawsuit. (laughs) That is true, having that belt. (laughs) Having that belt on TV. There was a little bit of a dispute there. Flair actually won that battle. Well, because he had a... Very, very large deposit in that belt that was not paid back to him. Exactly. So he owned it. Exactamundo. Um, I do think it was an interesting decision to put Flair with Heenan whenever he came in. Like, I'm glad they did because I love the Heenan's work around Flair. It worked really, really well. But Flair didn't need Heenan to sell him. Well, I mean, according to the WWF then, if you didn't show up there... Who are you? So you got to put you with an established heel to make sure the crowd is going to be like, oh, this guy's a jackass. I'm like, it's Ric Flair. He's going to get heat. And look, I don't <laughs> think it was a mistake. It, were, it, it went over really, really well. It was just a little weird to me. You wouldn't expect it. I wouldn't have expected yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, November 21st, 1991, Mr. Perfect, as part of the Heenan family, appears on Superstars as the executive consultant for Flair. <laughs> With his black suit, all <laughs> so great. Oh. oh, he nailed that character. I mean, Mr. Perfect uh, nails the everything. Ponytail, he does. the black suit with like his name embroidered in the back of it. Love it. Flair would go on to win the WWF Championship on two occasions uh, with the assistant of his executive consultant, uh, including the 1992 Royal Rumble victory, which we have covered on our list. Where does that sit? On I'm, I'm looking right now, Landon, and the uh, 1992 Royal Rumble currently sits at number 53 out of 75. Very nice. Very nice. 53. Great, great match. Yeah. Uh, Flair would eventually find himself in a months-long feud with Randy Savage, leading to Flair losing the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 8 and planting the seeds for Perfect's Betrayal later that year. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Flair's second championship reign would come to an end at the hands of the same man who ended Mr. Perfect's Intercontinental Championship reign, the hitman Bret Hart. Four out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> By the fall of 1992, Perfect and Flair were still in the midst of a rivalry with Randy Savage, building to a tag team match at the Survivor Series, where Flair and Razor Ramon would face Savage in the Ultimate Warrior. Ooh, but the Ultimate Warrior decided to hold up Vince for money. Sure did. At least that's the story. Yeah. And Ultimate Warrior did not was not around when Survivor Series was coming up. So, on November 16th episode of Primetime Wrestling, after a year of focusing on Ric Flair's success, Macho Man Randy Savage approached Perfect with an offer. With Warrior gone, Savage was looking for a new tag team partner to take on Flair and Razor Ramon at Survivor Series. And he wants Mr. Perfect. Oh, yeah. The perfect teammate. Mr. Perfect. He said he needed the perfect teammate. Um, Savage calls Perfect one of the greatest there ever was in the oh, WWF. Oh, he was. But he can't handle it anymore. 
Well, if you can't handle it anymore, maybe I gotta find somebody else. Heenan said, of course he would want perfect. He knows Flair better than anyone. Uh, He's led him to two WWF championships. He's just a manager. Well, after this, Mr. Perfect gets a long-distance phone call. (laughs) This is a long-distance phone call. Here's a reminder of what you were in. All we hear Perfect say is that he's very flattered. After this call, you can see Perfect with a contemplative look the rest of his time on primetime. And uh, Vince McMahon, at this point, accuses Heenan of attempting to keep Mr. Perfect out of the action. And Perfect starts to bite. When Vince further accuses Heenan of taking all the credit for Flair's championship wins, Perfect takes exception to that. And Perfect is kind of starting to put the pieces together about what's been going on with this Heenan family business. Uh, We come back after commercial, and we go to Flair and Razor, who remind Mr. Perfect that maybe he used to be somebody, but now he works for them. Thanks, Razor. He didn't like that. <laughs> he did not like that. And, 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 but, but Flair says, look, Razor, you're right, but that's why we're successful. We're all working together. We all play our part. Flair even asks him, hey, who's the greatest wrestler alive today, huh? Huh, Perfect? Who's the greatest wrestler alive today? And McMahon can see Perfect fuming at this point, and so he pressures him to, to say, like, all right, do you think Flair is the best wrestler in the world? And Perfect says, no. Razor continues to stir the pot, saying, he's all over, man. You're an announcer. You're a manager, man. This is so interesting. Because at the time, we all thought everything Razor was saying was true. Like, everyone thought Perfect was done. Like, there's no way he's going to actually accept. So at this point, Bobby Heenan is sweating bullets. (laughs) And we cut back to Savage, who fires a few more shots. It must be a little cold in Flair's shadow, huh? Maybe you don't have the guts. Maybe you're afraid. Yeah. Oh, maybe I made a mistake. I don't think you have what it takes. McMahon asks, are you going to consider the offer? And Perfect says he will consider it. And Heenan explodes. Anybody. He is not getting in the ring of Survivor something, Heenan. I am sick and tired of everybody making decisions for me. Savage, you want an answer? I'll give you an answer. I accept. I accept. I'm talking. Don't you hear me? Don't you hear me? I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell you something right now, Heenan. You don't put your hands on me. No, wait a minute. Survivor Series, wait I'm going to be no, in the corner of the Macho Man Randy Savage. I accept it, Savage. Wait a and Bobby Heenan, I'm going to tell you, you put your hands on the wrong person. You just got done putting your hands on Mr. No, Perfect. You don't touch Mr. Please. Perfect. I know, I know, I know. You've been I'm holding sorry. me back all these years. No. You've been putting me on the back burner. No. Ric Flair has been walking in my shadow. Wait. Ric Flair wants to fill my wait. shoes. Wait, look what they've done to us. Look at the doors to pipe. I didn't mean to hit you. God knows I'd never do you that. Hit me. You'd never do that. Off of me. I'll get down on my knees. I'll get down on one knee and tell you something. Please, we'll never do it again. I'll never do anything wrong. I promise you. I'll buy you a car. I'll get you a boat. I'll give you double the money you could have made. I'll get on both knees perfect. Please, don't leave us. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hit you. I'm <laughs> perfect. Grabs Heenan by the tie. You've been holding me back all these years. Ric Flair has been walking in my shadow. Macho Man Randy Savage, I'm back. You had life. 
at your fingertips. Wine, women, song, litter jets, <laughs> limousines a mile long, a lifestyle that kings live to have. You have me guiding you through life. I gave you Look everything. I gave you, I gave you life after wrestling. You were somebody, and now you think Oh, oh yeah. buy a Laugh ticket it up. now. Laugh Don't wait till Wednesday. As you sit there with look, that cocky look at him, man. smear on your face. Look at him. Look at that Think about no. this. Wednesday night, it won't be throwing the pencil in the air. Wednesday night, it'll be good. And you know what it'll be. Your body is a mile long. Disguised as a horse. Because Henning, <laughs> oh, that's your real name. Henning, it's not perfect anymore. No, man. Oh, you yeah. and Savage will have to survive. Survive. Come on. Come on. I want to see on. whose career's not going to survive the Survivor yours, Series. Yours. That's you, Razor Ramon, and that's you, Ric Flair. Oh, you know, yeah. Flair, you've wanted to be like me for a long time. Oh, well, too bad. What? You know, it's too bad. Oh. Doesn't he also pour a pitcher of water on So the that's the best part. Because earlier in the episode, Bobby Heenan was just like, ah, he's like, like talking so much. He finishes his water. like, ah, I need more water. I need more water. He says it. And then at the very end, pours the pitcher on him. Perfect pours an entire pitcher of water on Heenan. It's, it's my favorite part. Uh, this is so incredibly well done. Best episode of primetime wrestling you'll ever see by a long shot. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's on YouTube. It's a great watch. Uh, Perfect and Savage are together at Survivor Series. They win the match. Perfect makes his return to singles action in January of 1993. He competed in the Royal Rumble where he eliminated Flair, setting up their Loser Leaves Town match the next night on the brand new Monday Night Raw. Man, I mean, what a story. What a story. Dale, how much of that do you remember? Do you remember uh, the, the build-up to the Loser Leaves Town match? That's an incredible story, right? Right. No, I I actually watched a little bit of that on YouTube before, and I I want to say there was a backstory to the sudden uh, Mr. Perfect face turn. Uh, I don't know if y'all know, but I swear there's something about it. Like, I don't know if it was because... Like, I think Warrior left. Yeah, so like because Warrior was leaving, they needed to figure out a way to make a tag team match at Survivor Series still work. Yeah, with, yeah. And, and my guess is Perfect got a clean bill of health. And they well, were just on, like... He was on the roids. Right, and so they were just <laughs> like, okay, well, let's, let's figure something out here. And they so, put uh, together... An incredible story. So I actually want to correct myself. I said that Warrior held up Vince for money. That was the previous year. Warrior <laughs> was politely asked to leave because the WWF was staring down the barrel of the steroid trial. Right. This was right around that time. I was like, hey, Warrior, yeah. you got to go, buddy, because you are not clean, buddy. So we made it. We made it to January 25th, 1993, the Manhattan Center, of course, in New York, New York, on commentary for tonight's action, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Vince McMahon. Welcome to Manhattan Center. Oh, God, probably the right-handed and Rob Bartlett. Yes, Vince, I'm happy to be here. 
Yeah, so Vince actually saves this match on commentary, in my opinion. I don't no, know, man. I, Rob Barton I, I don't think you're park. wrong because Heenan is back and forth with Flair uh, the whole time, um, and you have to have somebody to bounce off of Heenan. You have to, and so Vince Bartlett does is that. not that man. But <laughs> I think Rob Bartlett's commentary in this match can be summarized by the moment when Vince McMahon says, "Rob Bartlett, you haven't said a word." <laughs> <laughs> So that's the problem with having your boss right next to you on commentary. If he calls you out, you're like, oh. Well, Bartlett is notorious for not being good on commentary. I mean, it's just, why is he even there? Like, what? He's not a wrestling guy. He's just a radio guy. Um, uh, Owen, as our official for the match, is referee Earl Hebner. First time ever. First time. <laughs> yeah. Earl Hebner, of course, who else would it be main eventing a Monday Night Raw in 1993? Uh, of, of course, it's Earl Hebner. I was going to say Kyoto, but Kyoto was a young boy, so he would have been like opening match. Right, right, with right. With his mullet. Hey, are we sure it was Earl Hebner and not his twin brother? Hey, listen, you know, I went back and forth about this, Dale. I got to be honest with you. I'm going to be like, honest. Is that Dave? Is that Dave Hebner? I just wrote, rep- this referee will be officiated by... Hebner. Hebner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's Earl. I'm pretty sure looking at it, because I think Dave is, I, I they do look a little different from each other. I think Dave did more backstage stuff than than Earl did after the whole, um, what was it, the, the plastic surgery angle they right. did. <laughs> right. Um, I'm going, listen, unless, I, I, this could be our correction corner next week if somebody tells me it was Dave Hebner, but I'm thinking it was Earl. I'm telling you. Um, Landon is is doing a quick. Would it be on Cage Match? Does Cage Match put? No, 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 they, they don't. don't. No, okay. they don't. Oh well, uh, someone will know. Someone will know. Uh, but I, my educated guess, Earl Hebner. Um, so, but we have all the ingredients that we need, right, to make an incredible story in that ring, and the stakes, as we know, are massive. Yeah, like the loser is leaving the company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and when. The two names in the match are Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect. Yeah, and you're like, saying oh, one man. of them is going to leave the company. It's like, hey, guys, two of our biggest stars, and one of them's going to be gone for the next nine years. Well, and the match starts off so te- tense. Yeah. Like, you see the cautious look on both men's faces. They're very aware of what is on the line, but there's also an undertone of ire. Well, like, yeah. They hate each other and you can see that in their eyes but their posture and their body movements are calculated and so just being able to play that in both senses is just genius genius psychology well, well Landon I was going to say yes psychology but like you have to remember like both of these guys gimmick is that they are very very good mat wrestlers mm-hmm. so yep. how like if you're the best mat wrestler another guy is the best mat wrestler how the fuck do you work that? Right. So you they're, can't. They're yeah. so cautious. You I, have to be. I, I want to ask Dale Springs a question really quickly here. Um, when when you have a, a match with high stakes like this, this obviously is a loser leaves town match. But let let's say it's a it's a title match or something with high stakes. How does that change? Uh, that initial reaction when you get into the ring, Dale Springs. I, I know you, you've held championships. You've had these high-stakes moments in your own career. So uh, how, yeah. does, how does that change from, from your run-in-the-mill singles match when, when that bell rings and you know the stakes are high? What does that mean for you in the ring? Well, if it was me, you know, that obviously your anxiety and your, your fear of slipping up mm-hmm. is going to be up way more. So it's more... Like y'all were talking about, they they want to be cautious of what they do because one wrong step 
um, the other one could take advantage of. So in, in a match like that with the stakes so high, you you got to be on your A game. You got to bring out everything you got to hopefully get the one, two, three or make your opponent submit. And, you know, and and, and for me, it's I'm going to make sure that that my opponent will not outplay me or outperform me. So, like, with these two guys here, they're going to do everything in their power to be the winner, be the last one standing and, you know, staying on Raw. Right. No, I, that was really, really well said. And and what you're saying is is that in order to win a match like this with such high stakes, you have to be damn near perfect. perfect. <laughs> ah, like you did there. Um, and, and, Landon, you're absolutely right. It's a tentative start between these two guys. Well, I, I really like the start because they don't just go for the lockup. They just basically slap the shit out of each other. So, like, oh, perfect. Let's lock up. No, fucking slaps the shit out of Rick. Like, like it's not going to be that kind of match. Well, in... It is so it's such smart mat wrestling. We talked about how both of these guys sort of have that mat wrestling style. You, just look at them use a hammerlock. When Flair is in Perfect's hammerlock, he doesn't just lay there like a rest hold. He's constantly moving around. He even like backs Perfect up into the corner to try and and get out of the hammerlock. He's try, always actively trying to do something. Well, I think that goes to show like back into the corner. Like that's the easy way to get out of it. He's not putting in. He's right. pressing the joint. Right. He's got to break the hold. Got the ropes. One thing I do really enjoy is I like how I was just saying, oh yeah, he the the show of disrespect by the slap to Ric Flair. I'm like, dummy, he's throwing Flair off his A game. Dummy, yeah. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, it just hit me like, oh yeah, he's throwing him off because you're just saying uh, you, you were just saying, Dale, you have to be on your A game. Well, if I walk up and slap the shit out of you right, right, right as the bell rings, I feel like that would kind of throw you off a little bit. It'd definitely throw me off, right? If I'm expecting a lockup and then I get slapped like that. And not just like that, because uh, very early on, uh, Perfect does like a sudden like takedown and doesn't capitalize. He just starts slapping the top of Ric Flair's head. Right. As to say, I'm like, hey, I got this. <laughs> it, it's really, really good stuff. Uh, at one point, Flair grabs a steel chair, but it's not a folding chair. No, that's no. Like, <laughs> it is a four-pronged steel chair. It, it is a hotel conference room chair. Yeah, <laughs> those things are Ooh. heavy. I love because he's going to use it in, the, in Hebner. It's like, no, you're not doing that. <laughs> Mr. Hebner, whose first name we will leave out for the remainder of this episode. Um, yeah, it's so he he tosses Perfect out. Uh, and it, it's actually a good point that you bring up the chair because it's a continued theme that we'll see throughout the course of this match. Not only is Ric Flair trying to win, but dirtiest player in the game is not something that was made up for no reason. Right. Oh, not at right. all. He's trying to win at any uh, costs that he possibly can, and that's really the first example that we get. I do love, though, um, very early on in the match, we get the flare flop, followed by my favorite line of commentary. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Some amazing contributions to the world of sports commentary. Yeah, things start to change. Just goes to show that Rob Bartlett does not know what Ric Flair does for a living. <laughs> yeah, uh, things start to change. Once both men get back into the ring, because Flair throws a, a hard Irish whip oh, yeah. to Mr. Perfect. Perfect goes up goes up and over the turnbuckle, hitting his head on the ring post. Ooh, and he gets some color. Yeah, yeah. He's bleeding pretty quickly here in the match. Um, and Flair sees it and takes advantage. Yeah, and as soon as Flair gets the upper hand in this match, he immediately starts to work over Perfect's leg. Which just makes all the sense in the world. You're yeah, talking yeah. about Ric Flair. 
but Flair also brought some contingency plans mm-hmm. to the table. We mm-hmm. talked about it. The dirtiest player in the game. When the referee is in the right position. Oh, my God. Flair pulls some what, – what, it's not brass knuckles. What do we have, like – it like was hard to tell. Hard tape, something like maybe there's a bit of metal in that, in so that tape like around he, his knuckles. It looked like he had taped something to either a ring right. or just like something he could grab onto. Because they call it brass knucks. I even wrote it down and said, no, it looked like he just taped something. Or maybe to he a like ring. maybe he like put wrist tape around brass knucks so it didn't look like brass knucks. So the referee wouldn't have seen it. Right. Um, but nails perfect, lays him out, but perfect finds the rope. And when that doesn't work. Flair tries to end the match by opening up the head wound on Perfect. He's got all of these second plan. Okay, what's plan B? What's plan C? Well, and I think what's so interesting about the the, the quote unquote brass knuckles spot, right, is um, after Flair hits Perfect, there's such a great character moment there because Flair's like, "I did it." You know what? Yep. Like that was my plan. Yep. Executed to it perfection. Worked. I'm winning this match. Right. So he just sort of gets on top of Perfect, a fairly lackadaisical pin attempt. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And Perfect's leg was on the rope. On the rope. So he has to then pull Perfect's leg off of the rope and tries to pin him a second time. But at that point, Perfect has had the time to come to a little bit. And so you wonder if Flair wasn't so cocky in that moment and had he hooked the leg the first time. Does he pick up the win? I think so. After the brass knuckles. And um, before we get too far away from my absolute favorite character moment of this entire match. It happens a little before this. So Perfect pins. I'm sorry. Ric Flair pins Mr. Perfect. But while he's doing this, he gets the leg up on the rope. And there's this moment where Hebner looks up like ropes are shaking. Did you, did, did you get your foot in the rope? And while he's arguing with Flair about having the foot in the rope, Flair puts his shin over Perfect's throat. And is choking him while Flair is telling the official, "No, no, no! I, I didn't put my foot on the rope. What are you talking about?" And then he, as soon as he rolls over, he lets go, and Perfect rolls over to his side, and he's choking. Look, the rope, the rope is fine. I, I didn't do anything, and I'm sitting there going, "Like you, son of a bitch!" Right, right, and that's I love it. that. I love that. You get caught cheating, yeah. and so you cheat to to test that you're not cheating. Right. So, so <laughs> as an in ring performer, how do you break down a spot like that, Dale? Uh, the choke. Yeah, like the, like the, just the, that kind of psychology, like finding something that seamless. It just seems like that's difficult to do. Um, I would say it's more. I would, I would say, you would have to have a, a really good ref mm-hmm. understand what that you're trying kind to of do there, where it won't bury them. Right. Yeah. Also, won't bury like you and your opponent. Uh, so. In that situation, Flair, like you're saying, thought he had the win, but Perfect got the foot on the rope. So now all it, so now he's kind of, like, you know, bicker with the ref. But while he's bickering with the ref, he puts you know the shin on the throat. He he it basically he has to have it to where the ref literally cannot see that. Yeah, uh, the positioning but, is so important. But having, like you said, the referee who, let us not forget, plays such a crucial role into building these matches and telling these stories as well. Oh, I had no yeah. idea how important a referee was until I tried it, and I was terrible at it. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. I mean, in a lot of ways, just as difficult in, in you know, uh, as what the guys are doing because you've got to be on your game. You've got to know 
every little bit uh, be in the right position, and it is a tough job. Well, the most important thing the referee has to do is know the time. Ooh, I yeah. don't even notice like if they're wearing a watch uh, or like what do they just have like an internal clock? Like, no, usually it's an earpiece. It, it, it depends. Yeah, they have an earpiece. As, if uh, anything, I was actually watching something recently with Jen, and she says, "Oh, I just noticed uh, whoever the official was wearing an earpiece. Why?" I said, "It's so we can talk to the guys backstage. Why? So we can tell the guys, oh, hey guys, you got four and a half minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Like he's literally there to keep them on track or let them know, hey, we're right. going to commercial or." Whatever. But talking about that moment with Flair and the shin over the throat, like all that stuff, it gives us a chance for Bobby Heenan to do what he does best when he's on commentary. <laughs> Him and Vince are big you know, like a married couple. I love it. Right. And, and Heenan is talking about how, listen, <laughs> you can do anything until you get caught. Exactly. You know, and that's and we know that's the Heenan family motto, right? But seeing Flair do that and, and pull out all of these little you know tricks in, in the middle of such a high-stakes match – I can imagine if it was me, I mean, January 25th, 93, I was six months away from being born. (laughs) But had I been 10, 12, 14 years old watching this match, even, you know, a a grown adult watching this match, how angry are you as a Mr. Perfect fan watching Flair get away with all this crap? Dale, and and I'd love to ask Dale uh, at at that point about having fans angry at you. I think you've gone through now at this point in your career, you've, you've, You've played up the heel side. You come out with the with the quiet signs. Love it. Um, and then, but you've also sort of turned babyface a little bit. So you've got to work a little bit of both. Uh, what what is it like getting that sort of reaction as as a heel? And then, and how does that change whenever you turn? Uh, obviously, it's the easiest thing in the world to have someone hate you. because. Mm. Uh, you know, you just say one one thing about someone's appearance, or say right. one thing bad about the town they're in, or anything like that. Like the fans just eat it up. Mm-hmm. So it's so easy to be a heel, especially in wrestling. Um, but once you transition to a face, it's it gets hard because you can't just do the same things you're doing as a heel. You got to basically do a whole 180 and it's kind of difficult trying to get someone to like you like that, especially if you're not doing stuff that they like. Um, there's, and you got to just know the crowd that you're in. Uh, Cause if you're doing like a bunch of flips and a bunch of spam finishers in a crowd, like a Southern crowd, they don't care about that. They care about stories. Mm-hmm. They honestly, Southern crowds like stories. Now, if you're like in like, uh, the Northwest or and Northeast, maybe that's different. Maybe they would like a bunch of spotty moves and stuff like that. Um, and so as a face, you just got to read, read the crowd and know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And being and able to, to... to pivot, like, like yeah. for example, in the, in the Hogan rock match from WrestleMania 18. Oh yeah. They had a game plan going into that match. And it changed. And it completely, they completely had to do a 180 with what they planned because of how the crowd reacted. Crowd was like, we're not booing Hogan. (laughs) We're not doing it. That is so interesting to me about, you know, Southern, Southern fans like stories. I mean, but, you know, it makes sense. You think of like a PWG. Uh, There are stories, sure. But, I mean, that's. At spot fest as it gets, oh, exactly. you know, exactly. a they lot want, of they the want time. the young bucks. They uh, want flips, right? In in California, and so and gummy bears and gummy bears. You <laughs> gummy want gummy bears? bears. <laughs> um, 
but but you're absolutely right and and honestly my 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 personal experience is not super vast in terms of seeing local shows across the country but i do know from being here in louisiana that you're absolutely right the storyline is is a lot of what those you know the people in the seats want to know and absolutely they, and, what they and, care about. and that's one of the things that i do feel like pro wrestling 225 does really really well right right all right, right um and Dale Springs, you you just had, and I'm so sorry. We'll, we will absolutely get back to to Flair Perfect really quickly. But you you did have an SEC championship match against Rhett the Threat. Uh, you you did come up a little bit short there, but I thought it was a really good match, uh, and the crowd I thought really really enjoyed it. Um, what do you see for yourself with Pro Wrestling Two Two Five or other Louisiana promotions? Um, what do you see for yourself coming up in you know sort um, of in title chases and things like that? Well, we're gonna have to see about Two Two Five. Um, you know, they're always, always having people coming in and out. Um, mm-hmm. but right now I think my main stay is going to be movement wrestling and, yeah. and, uh, Cecilia. Yeah. Uh, definitely going to do that with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're new. Um, you know, they were going to, they had a lot of stuff planned before COVID hit. Right. And so they were only able to do one show before COVID and then their second official show was before the end of the year of this year. So, you know, they, they trying to get back on that, that speed of what's getting these shows going. And right. so that's been a huge challenge for, for wrestling organizations all over the world is, is, you know, we have all this momentum and now we kind of have to start over. Yeah. Yep. But it's knowing that they only got to do one show, I mean, you're right. Blank you campus can now for the most part. It up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, but, that's great. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to work with them and, um, you know, I'm trying to stay as a face in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. It's I've I've been heel everywhere, majority, um, since I started. So once I turned face at Elevate, I kind of made it a thing that I wanted to stay a face in in Louisiana for the most part. Um, because it's it's been three years. Um, I like even the fans were starting to chant chant my name and chant other things during my matches instead of booing me and i was like you're not supposed to like me (laughs) (laughs) me." must be doing something right yep yeah so it's at this point it's just like it had to happen so uh like face uh, i'm gonna try to stay face in louisiana and then you know everywhere else is whatever they need me to do um other than that I'm just going to still stay under Palmer. Hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, back to Flair and Perfect. You know, you talked about the 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 brass knuckle moment, right? Um, there's a there's a moment that comes just before that because there's some really good back and forth in this match. Flair puts on a sleeper. Perfect puts on a sleeper. Um, but Ric Flair hits this big back suplex on Perfect. Ooh, yeah. He does. It's a big back suplex. The match is now, we're in the, the latter half of the match. You know, we're past 15 minutes or so. And uh, and obviously, so that means Perfect's been bleeding for a while. And Flair puts in the figure four. He puts in the figure four, Mr. Perfect. And you think, you know, Heenan is jumping for joy on commentary, basically. Uh, you think this is probably the end of Mr. Perfect. You know, uh, thank, good job coming back, like, what a great comeback story. You know, it's sad it ends here, but you know, thanks for coming. Um, because not only is the figure four applied, but Flair again grabs the damn ropes. Grabbing the ropes. Every time Hebner's back is to him, he's up grabbing the ropes for extra leverage. But 
Hebner wises up, and he turns around and sees Slayer using the ropes. And what's so interesting about that is that he forces the break. Then. Yeah, kicks the hands like, yes! Yeah, he forces the break. Um, and, it's, and it's a big moment. And it's absolutely a big moment. Um, and this is where the momentum starts to shift because that was sort of Flair's big moment to put Perfect away, but he was caught. He got caught. So now it's Perfect's turn to, to come back, so to speak. I love how Flair tries to keep that momentum, so he goes for that infamous crossbody, which he's never hit. <laughs> never once. <laughs> and Perfect's like, no, how about a power slam? <laughs> Off the top. And uh, this is when we actually get the brass knuckles. Um, but I love, though, he polishes off with that big elbow drop. Ah, you son of a bitch. Um, mm-hmm. oh, some moments that I really, really enjoy. Perfect goes, I'm sorry, Ric Flair goes for a hip toss, but Perfect reverses it into a backslide. Uh, I always love that spot. Yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> what I love about here is they don't just do it like there's this big struggle and you hear right. Ian screaming, drop to your knees, he can't pull you over. Drop right. to your knees. I'm like, actually fighting for leverage in a leverage pin. And I'm like, you don't see stuff hey, like look, that? wrestling. Exactly. Yeah, how about it? You don't see that anymore. And I'm sitting there going like, why not? I know it's a slower kind of story moment, but I'm sitting there thinking like, this is a great time to catch breath. Like doing stuff like this, you're still, you're, you're still working. But like as far as the crowd is concerned, oh, they're putting everything they have into this moment. Like really they're not. They're just standing there basically catch, getting a moment to collect themselves. And I'm sitting there going like I, I can see I, I can see that because this is what I do I I watch matches analytically for my that's what we do but I'm at the same time like I first saw this match when I was like 11 and so I I've tried my best to be 11 year old me going oh my gosh <laughs> this is great I mean th- hell 32 year old me is going oh my gosh this is great um, but this is something I really really enjoy um, <laughs> but uh, true to his own form. Ric Flair gets Irish whipped into the corner, goes up and over, runs to the opposite corner, goes with that big crossbody. I love it. And he catches a clothesline <laughs> right on the jaw. Like, oh, that looked like it hurt. I was pretty sure it did. But this, I felt this is this is this perfect moment. Perfect just fires up. Oh, his fire up sequence is great here. Yeah, yeah, and the, and so what happens here toward right after the closing sequences of this match, Flair and Perfect. I mean, we're you know if you if you're watching Monday Night Raw on TV, you're thinking, oh, it's about to go off the air, you know. And and Vince says yeah, it is got like two. You know, left. Vin, Vince says if the match isn't concluded on air, we'll have to show you the finale or how it concluded next week, which adds so much to the suspense of the moment. It does. It absolutely does. You're like, oh, like I have to wait a week to see the end of this match. Are you kidding me? And so Flair and Perfect are trading these pin attempts. Backslides, small cradles, jackknife covers, all kicking out, and it's just like every, bated breath. Everyone is waiting because it's about to happen. Oh yeah! And in the midst of these pin attempts, as clean as a whistle, the perfect plex. Perfect plex. The perfect plex. And oh. I don't know, you know, if you want to ask, you know, the who like executes their finisher better than anyone else. Like Mr. Perfect might be that guy. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just the cleanest. It really is. Each and every time he hits the perfect plex and that's enough for Mr. Perfect to defeat Ric Flair in the main event of Monday Night Raw and Ric Flair now loser leaves town. And I and do love how immediately you have Heenan gets off commentary. He's like, it's okay. We'll yes. be back. Actually, Ric Flair will not return until November 2001. Right. 
And see, I love this moment. I love these moments where matches in this way, mm-hmm. where you have everything's at a fever pitch. The pace is picked up. We've got so many pin attempts going, and then out of nowhere, somebody hits that move mm-hmm. where it just makes you hold your breath. Such a fun time. Yeah, yeah. Incredible build and, and conclusion to this match. Um, and honestly, for me, and we'll get into the ranking of it in just a little bit, but, but for me, it is that closing sequence. It's the last That's five great. to eight minutes of this match. They really kick it up a gear. That, you know, when you combine it with a story is why this match makes the list. Yeah. And I can't believe I didn't say this, but a big back body drop. <laughs> <laughs> what a maneuver. Because I mean, we, we, we have that Vince on commentary. Oh, yeah, we do. You guys hate that Vince. I love that Vince. Oh, no, he did a great job of this match, I must say. Well, yeah. he did a really good job of actually getting Heenan and Bartlett to start arguing. Had to. When, they, when those two started bickering, I'm like, here we go. Because mm-hmm. you said Bartley was pretty quiet because I don't think he knew he doesn't know a whole lot about wrestling. But once they really gave him an re- excuse to start arguing, they started bickering. And they started bickering. And Vince McMahon is playing mediator while also trying to call the action. It just, I don't know. It, it almost – it does make it feel more important because these two guys are sitting here arguing about, like, oh, who's going to win? Is it going to be perfect? Is it going to be Flair? And Vince McMahon like, gentlemen, we have to call the match. And Bobby Heenan keeps dropping the headsets to go give – Ric Flair instructions or he passes him like the knuckle duster. I'm like, oh, gosh. Or he, <laughs> they start arguing about a hammer because apparently there's a hammer in his it's, pocket. It's the, he grabs the, the hammer for the ring, ring bell. bell. yeah. He grabs it. He steals it from the timekeeper and he's like, he puts it in his jacket. So, you know, <laughs> at any moment he could bring it to Flair, you know. Um, God, really just good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Top to bottom. So question for you now, of course, as we go along here, favorite moments. What, what's your favorite I, I, moment from I this I mentioned one? both of them. Yeah, the, I the shin on the on the throat. It's good. Oh, it's it, good. And it's such a subtle thing too. And I like the the very beginning where they're just sort of in that feeling out process, who's going to make the first move, but you have that intensity in their eyes. Well, yeah, like I said, there's the moment where um perfect does a drop toe hold, but instead of spinning around and doing like the headlock, he just starts slapping That's exactly the back it. of Flair's That's head. That's exactly it. Is it like, I'm, like they I'm know, in your head. They know that this is going to be a technical yeah. uh, war, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they hate each other. I really love seeing how that played out. Uh, Dale Dale Springs, do you have a favorite moment or favorite thing from this match that you remember? I like that last sequence at the end. Absolutely. Man, like the, the whole pen attempts, it's the it's to get the crowd riled up. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. Oh, it works. You know, oh, one, oh, he might get it. Oh, no, he might get it. Oh, no, he might get it. And then boom, something happens. And then that's the finish. Like exactly. it's one of those things that not a lot of people do anymore. They just want to hit a, a move, an actual move, and then a one, two, three. Uh so stuff like that, even back then, that's really good. And I enjoy watching stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna have to agree with the golf father here. The the moment that perfect hits the perfect plex, you can almost like it's almost this massive exhale. <gasps> you know, it's this like, oh, that that's it, that's you know, it. like you know that's it, and it happened, you know, in in the blink of an eye, um, and it's it's just a really really cool moment, and and it's a great great finish to a really compelling story. Yeah, that's a great thing about Mister Perfect is he only went for the perfect plex when he knew he had it. Like he doesn't he doesn't he didn't break it out four or five times a match. Like right. he hits that move, it's going to be a pin. Like it's one two three. That's it. Uh, I can think of maybe. Four occasions where he hits the perfect plex and it's not the end of the match. He doesn't go for it unless he knows he's got the match one. 
So, my friends, we are, uh, this is now episode 16 of season four, episode 76 overall, and uh, we have to rank it, right, Uh, on our list of the 76 now greatest wrestling matches of all time. Um, I'm not sure how you compare Flair Perfect from Monday Night Raw to the Joshi match from last week or whatever. You know, like these are really, (laughs) really difficult things. Two very different styles of wrestling. This is a very, very story-driven match, and I think this is kind of a lost thing these days. I mean, you still see them. Don't get me wrong. You still see them from time to time. But I feel like people don't want to slow down and take their time and tell stories like this anymore. And I, I get it. Like, there's so many other things. Like, every every um, every show that's on television, every big promotion out there, there's so many of them. Even some of the, like, even like the local indies, you are competing with every source of, uh, information that's going on. So that's one thing that I notice, and that I do my best not to do this. When I go to indie shows and I see people on their goddamn phones, I'm like, "You paid anywhere from <laughs> five to twenty bucks to watch wrestling. Put your fucking phone away. It pisses me off." Paul is the get off your get off my lawn guy, right? I, now. I am. I am. It pisses me off. It pisses me off at wrestling shows. It pisses me off at concerts. I'm like, put your goddamn phone away and watch the show that you paid money to be here for. So. I feel like a lot of people don't want to slow down and take their time, and I love that they do that. I mean, yeah, it's 93, but even at this point, if you watch like the previous two episodes of Raw, like pretty Yeah, there's somebody big... standing in the back with a big old car phone. you got to hold two hands. It's no, probably no, a long-distance no, call. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's definitely a long-distance call. I was going to call. say <laughs> you had guys like Shawn Michaels being out there and doing a faster, right. more nimble style, so right. when you, when that, and that is clearly like what was going to happen going forward when you get right. these younger, smaller guys – that move a lot quicker, but it's really, really nice to see two old school traditional wrestlers have this slower, but when it needs to, when it needs to, they turn, they turn the gears up and they speed things up and they get the crowd in the palm of their hand, but they took their time and got there. They do it masterfully. They do. Mm-hmm. They also had 30 minutes. It's a, it's very, very easy to take your time and get there in 30 minutes. I think we'll forget that this is a long match. Yeah, well, it's broken up into two, uh, like, seven or eight-minute segments because yeah, of commercials. Uh, commercial break. Or, well, no, I guess more than two. There were several the, commercial the, breaks. The, the official match time is 23 minutes. Right, so. but you don't see 23 minutes. Right, no, no, no. I think you uh, see about you 17 or 18, it. I forget. Mm-hmm. But, like, but they had 30 minutes because it's the second half of the show. When sure, the match yeah. ends, there's literally a minute left. With like, uh, coming up on WWF Mania next week, we're going to do this because they had, like, a minute left. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we have to plug the next show, which we're actually taping in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was back in the day where they would tape, like, three episodes at a time. Right. So you'd see a live Raw, and they would tape two more. Right. Because they only taped every three weeks. Right. Right, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, weird. Now, and now three hours is one live raw. Yeah, lucky us. <laughs> one of the reasons why I usually watch it on Hulu yeah. the next day in ninety minutes. Okay, so we've got to rank it. Any any volunteers, Landon, Paul, uh, anybody want to? Oh gosh, I'm dip I'm, their toe in the water first. I'm terrified here. here. Yeah, I think whenever I look at matches like this, you know, and you and you talk about these two guys that hate each other and they bring that intensity, but it's a technical masterpiece. The very first one that comes to mind is Marty Jones versus Rollerball Rocco oh from gosh. World of Sports 78. I'm mad after my own heart here. Yeah. Um, and, and Dale, are you familiar with the Jones-Rocco match from 1978? No. It is just, 
I popped because I've never heard of that. Yes, it is. A, <laughs> it, we're digging down in the barrel here. Buddy. It is a fantastic match. Um, it, it is one that snuck up on all three of us. Yeah, it really did. We had never heard about it, um, but uh, we we saw it recommended, mm-hmm. and it's it's been in a, on a, a lot of like greatest matches that no one's ever heard of lists. Mm-hmm. And we took a look at it, and it one thousand percent deserves a spot. It actually currently sits at number fifty six. It was uh, out of seventy-five episodes. Definitely my favorite match of season two. It oh yeah, oh, it was so excellent, much fun. excellent, excellent. Um, just some really, really incredible technical stuff going on. Um, I Ian mean, Bradley. you know, Yamama, you know, Yamama insults happen at the top. They uh, sure do. Nineteen seventy-eight. <laughs> uh, great commentary from Mister Ian Bradley. Um, <laughs> Kent Walton. That's absolutely his name, Ian Bradley. Name I don't want to hear it. Yeah, we have so many little jokes. You have to go back and listen to that episode to get all these jokes. Um, so, <laughs> seriously, it was a great, great match, and, and it actually reminds me a lot of, of what we see in this one. Um, so I think that's probably around where my floor would be. 56? Mm-hmm. Around 56. Um, and I don't know. I don't see this necessarily going past the top 40 for me. It probably there won't. Were, but there it's... were some botches. It's not widely regarded as one of the greatest of all time. The only really noticeable one I saw is uh, Perfect goes for like a really big right hand, completely misses Flair, but they cut Right at the moment where he misses him, mm-hmm. so it looks like he just takes his head off, but he, mm-hmm. he, he missed him. I th- like, I just, I just think, you know, the technical masterpiece, for example, at number 40, if we're looking, between Kurt Angle and The Undertaker at No Way Out 2006, mm. is going to be over this one in my book. Um, you know, Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston from WrestleMania 35, incredible that's a story, moment. That's, that's incredible a pure storytelling moment match as well. That happened there. Um, but I could see myself maybe in the 42-43 range if you might be able to talk me into it going over a Danielson-McGinnis war or a, a, pure a wrestling Hokuto-Toyota war because of the incredible uh, storytelling that happened on primetime wrestling and how much oh, that yeah. brought to the table. They put a lot into this, and it's weird when you go back and you just when you watch just the match. Right. How it feels like they didn't. Oh, this has just happened out of nowhere. No, this has been building for like a month now. So, so my range is somewhere between forty-four and and uh, maybe fifty-six. Okay, so I'm actually looking at that range right now. Um, you mentioned Brian uh, Brian Bryanson. <laughs> Brian Bryanson. You mentioned my boy D. Bry and uh, Nigel McGinnis. Uh, I actually did rewatch that one not that long ago because spoiler alert, we're about to cover. A McGinnis match, so I watched that one to kind of remind myself. Okay, what kind of wrestler was Nigel McGinnis? Right, um, he was an intense wrestler. Very, dude. very, very intense. There's a, there's a reason why he had the reputation he did, especially that Mohawk. Ooh, um, I really liked that match, but I think I said this when we reviewed it, and I had the same opinion when I watched it recently. Those two were holding back. You know who wasn't holding back? Ric Flair, Mister Perfect. I think uh-huh. they weren't, and I feel like it's because this is Rick, legitimately Ric Flair's last match. I think he, I think this is his, I think the next. And and you know what? A testament to Ric Flair because he had every reason in the world to hold back in that match. He doesn't, and he doesn't. He does not hold back at all. I feel like he he gives. It's like he's saying, "Here's everything that Ric Flair brings to the table," because he gives you everything top to bottom. He gives you the showboating. He gives you the, the cheating. He gives you the subtle things. He does. He goes for. He does up and over and goes for the crossbody twice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa! What? Like he's really going for it, and he sells it. And when he loses, he sells like, 
oh shit, I lost. Right. He it was I, I it was a go. big deal. It was yeah. a big, he didn't want to go. And of course, like the next week, he's at a WCW taping, and Ole Anderson tells him, "What value do you have to me now that you've lost to Kurt Hitting on national television?" Damn. Like that's what you're gonna say to me? Like I'm sitting here thinking, like at this point, Ric Flair is what like a seven-time world champion, like one of the biggest names in wrestling, and you're gonna right. say that to him? Right. And wow. so his exact, I think he even said like on one of his documentaries, like maybe I made the wrong decision to come back here. Wow, because he sits out for a. Well, Can you imagine of how different the landscape of professional wrestling would have looked like if Flair never left WWF? I think his career would have been much better. How different would things be right now? Because when you hear about like the shit that was going on in ninety three and ninety four, just just those two years, I'm not even going to get it into like ninety seven, ninety eight. Whenever like he's having legal battles with Eric Bischoff, who wants to bankrupt him and embarrass him on television, and then the shit with Russo, where he's like. I don't even want to be a wrestler does, anymore. Does WW does WCW survive to two thousand and one without Ric Flair? <sighs> no, it doesn't. Because I don't know. Because, uh, I mean, because I, I mean, they because, still uh, got. They're still going to get Hogan. No, they're still uh, going to get Savage. Ric Flair is directly responsible for getting Hogan and getting Savage. Really? Because he knew them. He worked with them for two years. He's when it's like, you know, Eric, I can get you a phone call with these guys, huh? I can get him here. It's an interesting, interesting conversation. I'm not saying they don't eventually go, but I don't think they both go when they did. Because Hogan was like, I want to go be an actor. I don't want to be a wrestler anymore. And Savage is like, yeah, he's not getting to wrestle very often. He's a commentator, but he was getting a pretty decent salary. Oh, he wanted to wrestle. He did. He wasn't going to do it as often as he wanted to. He, he like They would let him do like a handful of shows, but like he was still getting a pretty decent like payday like just for being an announcer and occasionally wrestling but he wanted to wrestle he was 39 years old he yeah was, he, he, he years. was not done for sure so paul you mentioned 42 are you are you saying that this match would be above like it would be the new 42 i would put it the number 42 yes okay okay so that leaves me uh but before me i'd like to push myself back as far as humanly possible dale springs <laughs> um <laughs> i know i know you've got our list uh, and i know uh, you may not have seen you know all of the matches that we've covered so far this is you know it's a pretty diverse landscape in terms of what we have on our list but you know currently as things stand um, we're sort of talking about the the bottom half of our list, but pretty close to the center, the middle of the pack or so. Um, does that sound fair for a match like this? Would you would you expect it to be higher on a list of seventy six or lower? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Welcome to the show, yeah, bud. It's hard. You have to split so many hairs. That's why I did like a ten minute rant about wrestling. I was like, I don't want to argue. Here's my here's. I spent an hour and a half coming up with this idea, guys. Right. Uh, looking at the list, I mean, you're, you're you're totally right. I have not watched a lot of these matches, so we hadn't either before we did, started this. Well, if you're That's, ever uh, looking for some great new wrestling to watch, there's plenty on here, so feel free. Of course, um, but from what I see, I I would honestly, and you got to hear me out. I would. Mm, Possibly put this above. Uh, oh my! I could see it going right behind Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels at uh, thirty-seven. Yes, so basically thirty-eight. I'm only sorry, because I'm sorry. It's the the tech the technical 
aspect in it and then the the just the whole story and build up to this match i think could beat out mankind and taker and even chris and sean um only because i I, like i said i like i like the story aspect of everything and psychology of course Mm -hmm. um but it's like that match for 23 minutes on an episode of raw had the fans glued in Absolutely. and really trying to see like who's really gonna leave because like now na- like nowadays like you can go look at it and if we had that match now you'd be like oh rick flair's leaving he he wants money somewhere else mm-hmm. back then they probably didn't understand that right oh not and, at all no, you're absolutely like, right oh, like mr perfect could be leaving w- uh, wwf and blah 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 like i now I see what you mean. Like it could be in the bottom half. Um, I'd put it probably at forty-two as well. But just just what I'm looking at, like I would probably put it a few more spots higher than than uh, uh, forty-two, forty-three. So. Yeah, yeah, that's um, really, really well said. And you know, I find myself <clears throat> as I think here trying to figure out where, you know, after listening to everybody and what does that, you know, does that go up again? Cause honestly I was, I was lower. I was in the fifties. Um, that's where I was, but, um, I, I need to tell myself the same thing that I tell myself when we do these WrestleMania sometimes on last mania standing our Patreon spinoff, which is in order to appreciate something like this, Oftentimes, you need to put yourself in that moment. Exactly. <clears throat> because if you put yourself in 1993, this is the third episode of Monday Night Raw, and with everything going on on that stage, this is huge. It is. And especially since like the, whole, the, the big joke about pro wrestling is, oh, loser leaves town, and they're, they're gone for like three months, and they come back. He that was, was not the case here. He was gone for eight years. <laughs> and then the, the, just the story, right, of Perfect, who was, you know, one of the best to ever do it. Injury holds him back from furthering his career. And now, you know, we've seen him for the last couple of years be at Flair's coattails. And then to, you know, rebound back into the ring. And you're the, you know, this guy that you helped win championships. This is the guy that you're going to boot from the company exactly yeah right you know like that's an incredible story from mr Absolutely. perfect um and i and i you know it's really really good not to mention they have a really solid wrestling match to you know to prove it all so um god you know it's just a challenge because then the question to me comes um how far does a story carry you up our list how far does uh, a story carry you up our list? I think pretty far. Well, and, and the legacy that it carries, right? It was the first <clears throat> mega Raw main event. Mm-hmm. It, it was, because the, the first Raw is Undertaker in a three-minute squash against a jobber. And, and it sets the bar for what a Raw main event could and should be. They didn't do that kind of stuff often back then. No. But once you get in the 95 with uh, Nitro... You start seeing some more stuff like this. Like, we got to do big stuff. We, we, have to, we have to beat them. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and the reality is this is the fourth Monday Night Raw match on our list at this point. You know, we talked about Trish and Lita. We talked about CNN Michaels. But the other Raw match that we've had is Jeff Hardy Undertaker mm-hmm. um, for the Undisputed title. And these are all matches that 
left a legacy. You know, mm-hmm. we, we talked at length about Trish and Lita and, and how important that was. We, we've talked so much about John Cena, Shawn Michaels, and what that meant to, you know, to go an hour just about in the main event of Monday Night Raw. And then Undertaker Jeff Hardy made Jeff Hardy's singles career you know, in a lot of ways. And so all of these matches, including the one we've covered today, Flair and Perfect, have such like a big importance when it comes to the history of Monday Night Raw, the history of the WWF as a whole. Um, Now, the question that I'll ask myself is, without this match, are Flair and Perfect remembered any differently? Probably not. Does this match add to their legacy? Um, Mm. In in that company, yes. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I think it's different for both. Yeah, I think for Ric Flair, no. I think Ric Flair had his legacy made before he ever set foot in WWF at all. He had mm-hmm. he had been wrestling for fifteen years before he went to that company. Perfect. This is the most important match in Mr. Perfect's career in the WWF, in mm-hmm. my opinion, because of everything that he had been doing in in like his whole career in the WWF was attached to Bobby Heenan in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And and this is his breaking free moment of that. And it was against it was a win over an established professioning uh professioning professional <laughs> wrestling Beat legend Rick of Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, this is just impossible. Um <laughs> it just really, really is. Uh I you know, I'm I'm looking at Dale Springs that that number thirty seven, he mentioned Flair and Michaels. Um and that's that was such a rare moment. That's that's almost an icon versus icon moment, right? Where it's it's the end of this uh, one of the most legendary careers in the history of wrestling, and and the person putting you out is someone else who's had one of the most you know legendary careers in professional wrestling. Um, as you go down, Mankind Undertaker is just so completely different than this, but Absolutely. it is a moment that stands the test of time. Um, as I continue to go down, Jericho Michaels is where things start to get a little bit iffy for me because Jericho and Michaels is a very different story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's the, you know, the young cub, so to speak, Chris Jericho trying to take down his idol mm-hmm. in Shawn Michaels and he doesn't quite get the job done, but there's that great moment afterwards, right? With Jericho trying to assert his dominance still as, as the cocky heel. Um, Things start to get a little bit fuzzy around this mark for me now. Uh, Kurt Angle Undertaker wrestling classic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, almost a one-off. It was just a bridge to get us from the Rumble to Mania. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in terms of legacy, not huge. Sure. Um, uh, Co- yeah, Kofi and Daniel Bryan. I don't I don't know if I can... Ugh. Mm. So, yeah, I think where, where I'm getting hung up then... If that's if that's the conversation we're having, is that thirty nine? Thirty nine. Thirty nine. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, mm. Mm. yeah, it's the Chris Jericho mm. Shawn Michaels thing that uh, you know is an incredible story, and but but I think Jericho and Michaels had more important matches in their careers. They did. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think you're absolutely spot on, Landon. That this might be the biggest in Mister Perfect's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the story's better. I do too. I really do, especially if you go back and watch how that primetime wrestling really teed it up. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's excellent. So mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is 39. 39. Dale? Yep. I think 39 would be good. Spencer? Yeah, that's that's what it is. That's what it is. It's unanimous. 39. Rick, yep. And that's final. <laughs> Rick Flair versus Mr. Perfect. Loser leads town from January 25th, 1993 is, at this moment, the 39th greatest wrestling match of all 
time. Through 76. Through 76. Uh, which means it's it's almost dead in the middle. Just about dead in the middle. Um, and yeah, really good stuff. Good stuff. Um, we've got, you know, four more fantastic matches for you for the rest of season four. But before we get out of here, Dale Springs, thank you so much for joining us and breaking down this classic. Um, this was this was your suggestion, and, and it's a match that we've had suggested to us before. Uh, and I'm, I'm super super glad that we were able to cover one of your suggestions uh, on our on our uh, main feed here today. Um, and and getting an insight into the life and career of Dale Springs has also been a, a real real treat for us. Um, where can our listeners find you on social media? Where is the best place to to, to keep up with all things Dale Springs? And follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Both have the same handle. Dale Springs Pro. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Dale Springs. Uh, YouTube, same thing, Dale Springs. And um, you can go get some merch at brainbustertees.com. Yeah. Dale That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. And I, I'm curious, Dale, while we have you on here, I know you're, you had our, our, our list, you know, our top three matches uh, as things stand right now. Triple H, Shawn Michaels from SummerSlam 2002, uh, Omega Okada from uh, Dominion 2018, and Hart Austin from WrestleMania 13. Um, is there anything uh, in terms of like a match that you think is the greatest of all time? Are we somewhere in the right you know, realm with those three that we have at the top? Is there a match that you think we're missing that deserves to be close to that top spot? I will say y'all are missing one really good match that I think should be in the top ten um, with Pete Dunn or not Pete Dunn, wrong name, Tommaso Champa and Johnny Gargano from NXT Takeover New Orleans. New Orleans, mm-hmm. we were there. Let's just say that might be in the future it could be in the future i think that's definitely gonna appear on a poll here coming up very shortly that was i mean it's it's been on our radar for sure we uh so we have this thing where we like to save the more recent ones for a little bit later we like and and push it off but it has been several years it's been a couple years now and when you talk about storytelling i mean that match has it that's the match that caused jim credit to break his keyboard Man, uh, yeah, thank you for that suggestion. That's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> that's definitely one you know, we were absolutely there for in person and one that would be a ton of fun to cover. I am currently looking at the on uh, BrainBusterTees.com, the Dale Springs Quiet Please Fanny Pack. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I should have had uh, one for that 90s show, if I'm being super honest. That I? was a missed oh, opportunity. Damn missed it. opportunity. <sighs> I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Hey. There's there's stickers on there of all my designs, uh, sweatshirts, jackets. Uh, I did only make hats for the original logo that I have, only because I think that's the only one that deserves that hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, but all the other ones, I think I have fanny packs for. Oh, that's these are elite. fantastic! I love the golf logo. Oh, I think I need. I listen. I have. There's like, <laughs> if you look at my hat collection, because I've got a lot of hats. They're almost all just white with a logo in the middle, and so that fits perfectly. Oh my gosh. With what I need. I'm a big Heck fan. Yeah. yeah, the man under par himself, Dale Springs. Thank you again so much for your time, man. Oh, this has been great. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of fun, y'all. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, of course. The pleasure was ours. Uh, definitely, listeners, you guys out there, keep up with the golf father himself, Dale Springs Pro. That's the way to find him on socials. Make oh, yeah. sure you do that. Um, really, really good merch. BrainbusterTees.com to find that on Dale Springs as well. Um, we've got four episodes left in season four, my friends, and it's going to be good <laughs> until episode 77. I'm Spencer. I'm Paul. I'm Landon. And I'm Dale Springs. And hey. this is Last Match Standing.